in a darkened room somewhere in Hollywood and the inner recesses and dark and unbelievably commodious confines of Los Angeles' most intensive and fabulous retrospective film accumulation, The Cine Family, here on Fairfax Avenue. In the gracious, expensive tennis shoes district of Los Angeles where caps may be bought for overprices and shoes as well in what used to be a burgeoning Jewish neighborhood which is now holding the line with canters and a couple of stores showing no signs of leaving here we are excitingly once again the smartest man in the world Proopcast takes to the either this time the Greg Proops Film Club version how do I sign up for the Greg Proops Film Club well Jimmy it's easy first you're going to want to stand in the moonlight all night long with a fishbone ensconced in your hair until a purple moon rises in the sky what then Mr. Proops then you're going to want to rub something that you find like a tin can and it's burnished with a high sheen and you can see the morning stars glow in it what will happen then well, a grown man will sit near you and want to breathe. <laughs> you know, I think the greatest reaction a comedian can hope for when recording a live podcast is to have someone cough uncomfortably after the first shitty, unsuccessful, improvised dick joke. <laughs> it's all right. It's awesome having Doc Holliday in the audience here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You don't see him out that much anymore after the OK Corral. Guess he feels pretty shitty about what he did to Billy Clanton. Anyway, thanks for coming out tonight, Doc. It's nice to see people with consumption at my show. Uh, by the way, I welcome the afflicted, and I'll be doing a simple laying on of hands after the showing of tonight's movie in order to cure many maladies. Uh, not two uh, showings ago, uh, in the last showing of the Greg Proofs Film Club, we showed the movie Point Break, and a young boy came up to me who uh, only had chicken legs, and I... Uh, I, I rubbed him vigorously below the equator for 45 minutes and immediately he felt better and, uh, and almost ran out of this place. Um, on new legs. Legs that weren't chicken legs anymore. That was a little more graphic than I meant it to be. I was a, when I said the symbol laying on of hands, all you come up to me and I just put my hand aside your brow and, uh, and, and, and whisper a small incantation that I've learned. Uh, it's effective. It's fun, too. When's the show going to start? The audience out there listening is wondering. Whenever I fucking say it starts, go listen to something else, you dickhead. That's not a very welcoming way to get people to listen to your show. What if they have earbuds in and they're at work? Well, this is the perfect time to waste not one, but two hours. Because you can waste a whole podcast worth of podcast and a movie as well. Um, this is the time if you're at work to queue up your Netflix to the movie With Nolan I. Because that's what we're going to show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, then when I give you the cue, put it on. And when your boss asks you what you're doing for the next two hours, go like, I'm, I'm just you know going over some... What do people go over? Sp uh, spreadsheets. Because I'm looking at some projections for the next quarter. I want to make sure that everything is uh, ginchy when we have the thing that we, we all sit in a room together. M meeting. When we have a meeting, I want to be ready. 
I'm going to have a PowerPoint presentation and other things that people do. Uh, I've been working on it on some of my new uh, apps. And uh, that's what I want you to do. I want you to just queue up the movie and play it when, uh, when we play it today. If you're, of course, if you're driving, this is an awesome time to light a fat one. Uh, what can I tell you? Uh, Bruce Robinson wrote this picture with Neil and I. Um, Bruce Robinson was a child actor. And, and I think always wanted to be an actor. And he was gorgeous. He plays Belvolio in the movie Romeo and Juliet by Franco Zaffarelli, which I was taken by my uh, English class to see when I was in high school. I think it came out in like 70, uh, 16, 18, 9. It was a long time ago. And uh, I, I, my whole class was taken to see it. And it was awesome for us because, one... If you had read Romeo and Juliet, seeing the film made the context even more clear of the highfalutin language and poetic intent, not to mention the convoluted plot uh, full of teenage intrigue and hot underage sex and then hot eventual suicide. Um, yeah, no, it's a play for teenagers. It really is. It, uh, if, you're, if you have a teenager, if, you, if you're just young at heart, uh, um, underage sex and a dual suicide, fuck yeah, that's two hours. Um, <laughs> With sword fights, and then one guy gets stabbed in the heart, and he says, uh, how is it? Oh, it's not as big as a church door, but tools suffice. Huh? I'm 15, but I'm playing it off, right? I'm playing it off. I didn't even bone out. I took the fucking wound, and now I'm playing it. Uh, oh, no, Shakespeare's got I mean, not every Shakespeare play. There's some blow chunkiest. My fucking... And that's the Greek word. I believe it was originally used in the poetics by Aristotle. The Blochunkus artistic endeavor is the one with which the manbag is osculated while the making of is enacted. Uh, they took us to see Roman Polanski's Macbeth. And I think it was the first movie he made after the heinous murders. And uh, Roman Polanski's Macbeth might be the most violent movie I can remember. It makes Clockwork Orange look like you'll just laugh at Clockwork Orange. You'll just throw your head back and be like, oh, grandma. <laughs> This peach cobbler doesn't need any ice cream. It's sweet enough. <laughs> That's what you'll act like when you see Macbeth. Polanski's Macbeth. The opening scene of the movie, there's fog and then it clears. And this is from memory, by the goddamn way. Uh, but aren't you drunk and high all the time? I'm drunk and high right now, and I remember this. I saw the movie in 1975, and uh, the opening shot is, at first it's at a Playboy film, and we're all like, <laughs> 19, <laughs> Playboy film. Um... That meant something in 1975. It didn't mean a doddery guy with pursed lips and a weird Count Basie hat that chased girls around a playground or whatever that fucking show was. The, the girls who live in the thing. And uh, it, it, I don't know if you ever watched that show, but he would walk like Carl Lagerfeld. He had a horrible... When he stood up, you could tell he was 90 because he... <laughs> and then the poor Holly and what, what what are their names? Holly and Sprig and Juicy Bear, whatever their names were. Easy on a Data and Flagrante, whatever their names were. They would come in the room and he'd go. When he'd kiss them, his that was when you knew he was eighty. Like it would have been okay up till then. And then he no, no. Do not kiss me with that fucking King Louis Jungle Book mouth and shit. <laughs> That, that is not I don't want to be like you ooh, ooh, and shit you are bunking you are harshing my banana leaf what once was a fertile lagoon is a dry barren wasteland where you will find no purchase so they took us to see Macbeth 
And the opening scene is all this fog on the beach, and you hear clank, 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 you know, knights at war. And then the fog lifts, and there's a dude laying on the ground, and a guy walks up to him with a mace, if you remember the mace, right? Of all medieval instruments, really. I mean, we know, we're all down with the broadsword, because there can be only one. And we're all, <laughs> right, we're all down with the dagger, right? Because sometimes in between the floating rib and the other one, and then you take their purse and shit, and then you're off to fucking Canterbury. Uh, and then... <laughs> Uh, and then Vincent Price rides back. Yes, look at them. <laughs> look how poor they are. <laughs> Open the castle gates. Um, then, uh, and we're all familiar with the uh, uh, the broad axe as used by Gimli the dwarf in uh, all of the Lord of the Rings movies. And he's so great in those all three of those movies because one, those movies are torpid okay there's moments of great fun in them but the torpidity of those movies it, you really at a certain point you're like how fast can this boat go because <laughs> I'd like to open her up a little bit <laughs> I've got mountains and horses and Vigo and I got everybody's on my dick I got dwarves and people with contact lenses and shit there's people with funny ears and it's still dragging no one has blown up in a while I mean, if you read the books, Jesus Christ, there's no amount of psilocybin that really propels the books. In any case, are you going to just diminish the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, the, both the literature version and the movie version, in two glib sentences, you fucking asshole? I'm not diminishing them. I'm putting them in perspective. In normal, fast-paced movies that whip like the fucking wind that have fantasy characters, you have every right to expect a dwarf to get up and go, ah, and then cut someone's head off, and then the movie to move along. <laughs> then there to be a hot elf girl with multiple breasts. Let's get this fucking party started, Tolkien. <laughs> Instead, it was, you might as well have had, it would have been better, though. Wouldn't it have been better if they'd had, I hate that fucking singer, but if it would have, the Canadian one, um, and it's all for love. Who is it? Brian? Oh, so many dudes know his name. Wow, did we just catch out an entire section of the room here and shit? Fucking, you're right, though. It is Brian Adams. Because I saw, I was in the Hard Rock Cafe, or I was in a Hard Rock Cafe the last time I was in one. I can't remember if it was, I think I was in the one in Cleveland, hilariously. And they played the fucking Rod Stewart Sting, uh, Brian, what's his name? Brian Cranston? Brian Adams. <laughs> I always confuse Brian Adams with, you know, people that uh, I like that are cool. And uh, so I can never remember his name because I was in a cab once trapped with a fucking cab driver for 45 minutes and he was playing a live Brian Adams concert. I didn't even know that was allowed. I didn't know they made a record of that was like that long of him doing, you know, I got a 16 thing, you know, for like a year. And he goes, uh, I go, what are you playing at a certain point? Is this Brian Adams? And he goes, English cab driver in England. This is in the 90s. He goes, oh. You gotta love Brian Adams. <laughs> and I was like, au contraire. You fucking do not gotta love Brian Adams. I wish I'd brought a fucking Andy Williams tape with me because I would rock your world so hard. Um, it would, the Lord of the Rings could have used a little when, when Liv Tyler's kissing at the end and shit. And it's all fun. Cause it's all for love. It was missing Led Zeppelin. Sorry. My improvement to the Lord of the Rings movies would have been to play Misty Mountain fucking hop when the movie Walking you Why? Why? 
I mean, that would have made the movie fucking whoa, 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 like I'm packing my bag for the Mr. Man. Where the beeper. What are they saying? That would have made the movie fucking good. 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 And then what was the other one? You know, the... Well, the, the ring red's just in black. Right on. Down in the darkest light. Swing to the morning. That fucking one off Led Zeppelin 4. <laughs> the Battle of Evermore. Fucking, you guys pretend you like elf shit. <laughs> you pretend. I'm waiting for the, what is it, the something of Babylon, waiting for the eastern glow. The world is filled with good and bad that mortals never know. <laughs> when you're 15, that's, fuck, yeah, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm mortal. Fucking didn't know the world was filled with good and bad. So, at the end of Macbeth, the beginning... <laughs> He's got this mace on the beach, right? And a dude's laying prone. And he just wham, 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 wham. Hits this guy with the mace and blood everywhere. And I remember all of us as fucking 70s teenagers went, And I've already told you, I've shared this in many other podcasts. My father took me to see The Wild Bunch when I was like nine. And The Wild Bunch is a hilariously ultra-violent Sam Peckinpah movie where women are shot in the head and guys have their throats cut on screen. It's awesome. And uh, worse than that, there's a scorpion fire with children. And that's where Sam Peckinpah knew what the fuck he was doing. Like uh, Todd Browning or, or any great horror director, uh, at the beginning of the movie, The Wild Bunch rides by a bunch of Mexican children and they've got scorpions and ants are eating the scorpions in a giant circle and they set it on fire and they're laughing and they're going, ah! <laughs> with sticks and you're like this is fucking horrible <laughs> this is worse than the gigantic gang shooting scene that happens two seconds later the watching children laugh at scorpions being eaten by ants is fucking terrible so at the end of Macbeth he gets his head cut off and when he's when the, and, and they're running through the streets right and uh, uh, and I remember a POV shot of from the severed head I don't even know if it's in the movie but I remember it from when I was a teenager <laughs> It might not. And then they put the head over the ramparts and she got over the woods of Dunsinane and all that shit. And what, what and was this uh, untimely whip from a woman's womb, you know, and all that shite, right, with the Macduff and all. I shouldn't even talk about it too much. We're in a theater. <laughs> Any case, uh, um, they took us to see Romeo and Juliet. And Bruce Robinson, who directed this movie, uh, plays Belvolio in it. And he said that Franco Zeffirelli chased him around the set the whole fucking time, that it was a horrible experience because... Bruce Robinson is fair good looking, right? Like, it's not often we say that about a movie director. Most movie directors either have the Steven Spielberg, Ron Howard, unspeakable baseball hat thing going on. <laughs> or, with any luck, they look like Kurosawa, right? Or, or, or uh, some ascetic, you know, god, you know, like d glasses, dark glasses, and the, you know. Uh, I really can't answer that question because the, the premise that you're asking is so ill-formed. I, I have always worked with Icelandic cinematographers because they understand light. They understand light. You laugh if you like. I'm here on grant money anyway. And hopefully you get those kind of directors. Uh, then there's the other in-betweeners. You know, there's your, you know, the guys who look like Jim, like the ones that Steve Buscemi would play in a movie. 
all that. The, there's a whole genre of directors, that, like John Waters and uh, uh, Jim Jarmusch. T.B. Simmons could play any of them in a movie. Uh, but uh, Bruce, Bruce Robinson, on the other hand, is a, a, a fucking bunk, a hunk, a chunk of bunk of... Of Chunkarunka, Belvolio, fucking codpiece pouch, Zaffarelli chasing goodness is what he is. He is a he is a scented nosegay that uh, Signore Zaffarelli uh, evidently wanted to uh, whiff from, uh, at at the very least. And uh, in any case, he did not like making the movie. If you've ever seen Romeo and Juliet, it's quite good. Uh, Zaffarelli made a couple of Shakespeare's. Um, Taming of the Shrew with Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. That one's just good for the screaming. It's not really a good movie, but anytime you can see Liz Taylor wear a big bodice and have it and just rockets up, right, and like, uh, and go, ah! you know, then, then it's a good, <laughs> Liz Taylor doing anything is good, really. We, my wife and I always do, there's a movie called The Sandpiper where she moves to Monterey and she's got a son and she gets in a relationship with Richard Burton, who's a... Uh, itinerant minister who apparently has affairs in every town he goes to and Charles Bronson plays the bohemian who wears white jeans and meets them down on the beach and is like how about some wine it's just fucking good it's fucking good but Liz Taylor finds a sandpiper and fucking keeps it and nurtures it back to her look at it it is hurt and then fixes it and then later in the movie the sandpiper's like lights on her shoulder because it's so familiar in the crib in her bohemian crib full of her own artwork and shit and by the way she's good in it you know what I'm saying this is not one of the thinner Liz's this is later 60's Liz and the sandpiper lands on her and she goes that bird's becoming a nuisance and like just chucks it and you're like didn't you fucking save it Two reels ago, that was the most important emotional event in this movie. It was representing the fucking rebirth inside your feminine soul because you've moved to a place where you're finding the emotional rocks to be most salty indeed and you have a son with you. And then fucking two scenes later, you're acting like you're high at a party. It's a nuisance. So that Zephyrolli movie is worth seeing for her. But the other one, Romeo and Juliet, has Olivia Hussey and... Uh, Oh, cock. I can't remember who played Ju Romeo. In any case, uh, someone will write me. Believe me, I'll get five million fucking emails when this goes on. I was listening to your show. And an error was the first thing that assailed my oral facilities. If you are purportedly the smartest man in the world, would it not behoove you? Yes, it would, to have done the simplest piece of research I could have possibly done and find out who the fuck played Romeo. No, I'm not looking it up. Uh, he was good looking, but Bruce was better looking. And then Bruce was in the story of Adele H. and played the... What do we have, 30? Is it time to wrap this cocker? Okay. Is someone lighting me or am I just looking into the projection booth? <laughs> it occurred to me now that I'm having a fucking surrealistic pillow. Uh, wow, that was weird. Um... And so he was an actor and he lived with a guy who is the character of Withnell, a man named Vivian. And uh, the, the point of this movie is, is that it's heartfelt. It's a sincere depiction of what it's like. And I think for me, and I'm hoping for you, uh, and I'm certain for you out there listening, that uh, it'll represent a point in your life. Okay, I know there's teenagers listening to the show, but you haven't gone through this yet. But if you were older than that, you will know that one day you will live in a horrible flat with a bunch of other desperate scoundrels. <laughs> and that your only thought when you wake up will be, what can I sell today? <laughs> Followed by, what can I steal today? 
and that uh, you'll be caging drugs off everyone you know. The quest for booze will be eternal, and it'll be like, we don't have any cigarettes. Let's go downstairs to the old deaf lady's apartment and distract her. Uh, you'll live in a circumstance like this. And I think that's what this movie is about. Uh, it, nominally, they're actors, because in real life, they were actors. Uh, the fellow who he's uh, uh, portraying is a, is a real fellow. Um, and his name was... Yeah, I should have learned it, but I didn't, because I didn't want to spoil it for everyone, really. I think it's funner not to, uh, not to actually... Well, I can't find it anyway, so I'm not going to be able to tell you. Vivian something. In any case, this fellow... Um, uh, uh, lived with uh, Bruce Robinson and uh, they drink a lot in the movie. There's a, gr- there's a game you can play where you drink along with it. However, as someone in the movie says at one point, I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> I'm going to read you a partial amount of the, uh, of the drinks because they have been, of course, this is in- an English movie, so they have been dutifully transcribed. A mouthful of red wine, lighter fluid. That's right, the second drink in the movie is lighter fluid. <laughs> Double gin, finger of cider with ice, finger of cider with ice, finger of cider with ice, glass of sherry, two big chugs of sherry, mouthful of sherry, sip of sherry, double whiskey, 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 splash of whiskey, single teachers, all right, you get the idea. (laughs) There's also a Camberwell carrot smoked later in the movie, so if you're playing along at home, you're going to want to have one ruled for that moment. Why is it called a Camberwell carrot? Because (laughs) I thought of it in Camberwell and it resembles a carrot. Richard E. Grant is off the deep end uh, in this movie, much like uh, Tim Curry in Rocky Horror uh, or Anthony Perkins in uh, Psycho. Sometimes one person can dominate. Uh, or, or what's that Joan Crawford one? Uh, Eyes Without a Face. I mean, there's a few movies where one person just fucking dominates. And uh, this is one. Uh, Paul McGann is marvelous. His name is Marwood in the movie, if anyone's ever interested. I don't think it's said during the movie. Uh, Richard Griffith says Monty um, is... Uh, Thank you. Yeah, maybe that's why I was so pervy at the top of the show. I was channeling Monty. Uh, and then the other part in the movie that you'll want to remember is, of course, Danny. Danny the drug dealer. Uh, again, one day, if you're a young teenager, you will move into an apartment, and Danny will live near you. And you will have an experience with him. And then later, you'll have to look at some of the belongings he bought with the money you paid for the drugs. Uh, very quickly, Bruce Robinson's uh, filmography is amazing. Uh, it, his first movie is really his greatest movie. Um, he, he was an actor, and then he, d- he got tired of trying to book, so he became a screenwriter, and he awesomely wrote The Killing Fields, for which he was nominated for a screen, uh, best screenplay. Yes, The Killing Fields is quite a, an amazing movie, and it's a great, a screen, it's a great screenplay. Uh, he also wrote this movie and directed it. This is from 87. Uh, subsequent to this was How to Get Ahead in Advertising from 89, which also has Richard E. Grant. Uh, you're going to have a monster on top of you tonight. And um, Jerusalem will be builded. Yeah. Uh, how to get ahead is uh, very um, not subtle. <laughs> but it really gets its message across in a very strange, strange, uh, strenuous way. Then he followed it up with Jennifer 8. If anyone remembers that, which I always thought was a Spike Lee film. But I think I'm confusing it with Jennifer 6. Is there another movie with a girl's name and a number? Uh, and then he did The Rum Diary, of all fucking movies. I mean, uh, uh, he's Fat Man and Little Boy. He, uh, he wrote uh, Jennifer 8. He wrote Return to Paradise, How to Get Ahead. And he wrote The Killing Fields. In any case, uh, um, 
This is uh, uh, his first picture that he directed. It's from the heart. It's all about him uh, in those days. But I think it's all about us, and it's all about everybody that ever lived like this or will live like this, and that's what makes it so great. With Nail is the kind of friend uh, that's your best worst friend, your worst best friend. Um, we'll, uh, let me read you one little quote from Roger Ebert, and then we're going to... Uh, Go right into it. And get the movie cued if you're going to cue it right now because we're going to start it in a second here. Roger Ebert awesomely said uh, something really good. Shouldn't you have the pieces of paper turned so that you can read them? I didn't realize there were going to be so fucking many. (laughs) Here it is. Roger Ebert wrote a marvelous piece on this movie. And this is what I love the most. Um, Why does this film... Uh, which I've made sound so depressing, remain popular after more than 20 years. It achieves a kind of transcendence in its gloom. It's uncompromisingly, sincerely itself. It's not a lesson or a lecture. It's funny, but in a consistent way. In Withnell, he creates one of the iconic figures in modern films. Most of us may have known someone like Withnell. It's likely that Withnell never knew someone like us. His mind was elsewhere. (laughs) Withnell and I, ladies and gentlemen... Depressing, but I don't think it's depressing at all, isn't it? It's uh, I get a more of a it's a space and time, right? And it's about change at the end. Um, uh, Withnell's going to be Withnell forever, and that's what makes the movie eternal. That there's no sequel of Withnell two. This time he auditions and gets in a thing. Uh, that's not important at all. Uh, there really was a person, and his name was Vivian Mackerel. I just wanted to read you one story that happened with them. Uh, Robinson uh, was living with him. Um, Bruce Robinson, and he knew it had to end when Mackerel returned from a trip home to Scotland armed with bottles of drink. 200% proof, Robinson claims, that distillery workers made by sticking used whiskey filters into spin dryers. Deranged by the drink, Robinson and Mackerel armed with a hammer and an artificial leg smashed down one of the walls of their house. It took another six months for them to work up the will to go their separate ways. Um, I like at the end of the movie it said it's a fictional character and all the f- characters are fictional and all that. It's like, no, nah, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, do you want to do some questions here and then we'll uh, we'll um, bugger off into the night? Are we using this microphone here? Thank you, Young Ryan. No problem. Young Ryan, you haven't seen this movie before. What did you think of it? I've not. I enjoyed it. Are you going to speak on mic, or are you going to make oh, it ephemeral and weird, like voices are rushing through people's <laughs> podcasts? It, it reminded me of a lot of my good friends. Ah, but I think it reminds everybody of their good friend. Did, did everybody kind of know? Well, no one's going to admit to being that friend, so it really has to be that it has to be a friend that you knew. Let's, uh, I'd love to show another movie that has nothing to do with this at all, but it has almost the same... Uh, no, it's so childish, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's a movie called Bad Influence with Rob Lowe. And, uh, yeah, it has nothing to do with this at all. It's just that Rob Lowe is the most awesome bad friend in the world in that movie. But no one would ever admit to wanting to be the Rob Lowe part, except that he was better looking than James Spader in it. All right, uh, let's do a couple questions, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap a wrap. Well, we're going to do... Um, 
uh, a Halloween picture here, but we only have run up against two small obstacles. One, we haven't picked a date yet, and two, we haven't picked a fucking movie. Um, I've been suggested by Hadrian here, who you met earlier before the show. Um, he was the one in the spectacles. Um, he, uh, he wanted to do the, ra the Raven with Boris Karloff and Lugosi, which would give us a chance to talk about that. My wife suggested um, uh, many good ones, the cat people, but I guess we're on a universal kick. I wanted a Dr. Fives Rises from the Grave, but um, thank you for nobody uh, wanting that either. Uh, I did want that. Does anyone have any questions? This is what we do at the end. I neglected to mention it. If you could come up. We're on a short court. If you could come I up. Have, I have a suggestion for a movie. What about The Exorcist, The Heretic? First of all, what's your name, young man? I don't speak unbidden. We go Roger's fucking rules of order here. <laughs> It's Robert's Rules of Order, Greg. Yeah, I use a guy named Roger's Rules of Order. <laughs> the chair recognizes you. What was your name? Steve. Steve, that is correct. And what is your question? I was just going to suggest for the Halloween movie, The Exorcist Part 2, The Heretic. Oh, yes, I saw The Exorcist Part 2, The Heretic. Thank you for your suggestion. Uh, I've already absorbed it and exhaled it. Here's the thing. Um... It, it is an awesome movie. Linda Blair's in it, and that's what makes it really super good. I saw it in a drive-in, at the Burlingame drive-in in, in um, Burlingame, California, with my cousin Donnie the year it came out. Uh, we were unbelievably high on butyl nitrate and marijuana. And uh, it was, it, I can assure you that even under the influence of those very powerful drugs, the movie improves not a whit. Uh, it's, it's not scary in any way. There's a giant locust scene at one point, which for me, I think the movie The Swarm proved that anything that comes in a, in a swarm isn't good. Uh, I, would, I would show Night of the Lepus before I would show The Exorcist uh, Heretic Part 2, but thank you for that. It, it is amazingly bad. What makes it so amazingly bad is it's top-heavy with actors. Uh, that movie loses... Do you remember uh, an unbelievably awful Steven Soderbergh movie from a few years ago? Which one, Greg? Uh, I'll just pick one out. It was called Traffic. Uh, it was a, a remake of a, of a... I think it was a Swedish... Was it a British or a Swedish miniseries? And, uh, and Steven Soderbergh uh, reduced the movie to um, uh, having sex with black people on the weekend and going to a bad neighborhood was degrading. Uh, when I think anyone will tell you that it's one of the high points of a life. Uh, <laughs> And Michael Douglas in the movie was pulling out drawers and screaming, where are the drugs? And all I could think of was, this was like your life for like 25 years. And she, what the fuck is going on behind me, Robinson? We're giving him the long cord. Oh, you're giving him the long cord. You've just thought of that, have you? Yeah. Um, preparation is the essence of this show. So um, uh, and I'm not certain why I brought up the movie Traffic now, except that you had said something before that... Cat. What was it, the cat? Top-heavy cast. Oh. It had a top-heavy cast. Traffic was a movie that you watched, and every time you turned around, you had to go, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Benicio Del Toro. That's all you could do through the whole fucking movie. You, could, you couldn't enjoy the movie, because anytime anyone turned around, it was like, ladies and gentlemen, no, really? Let me have some fun for five fucking seconds. Everyone in a movie doesn't have to be a star, unless it's going to be an airplane movie. Uh, or Airport 75 or whatever. Then you expect Gene Hackman and Karen Black and Helen Reddy to rock your fucking world all at once. I don't think he's in that one, so don't fucking call me on it, but you get the idea. Uh, thank you for that. The, the, the heretic has Richard Burton and Louise Fletcher. Uh, 
Uh, and I would say that Richard Burton's wasted in it, but I think he's wasted in every movie, really. I, uh, I've explained this before. Richard Burton is sulky and sullen, and there's very few movies where he's peppy or, or, or even well cast. Beckett, maybe, and, and, and Beckett, because he's, he's, he's kind of a drippy priest. And, uh, the Sandpiper he plays, as I said, a, a, a sort of itinerant minister. And if there was ever someone who didn't depict what it was like to drift up and down the California coast in the 60s as a minister, I think Richard Burton might be exactly that actor. Yes, I'm here for a while, but soon I'll be gone. Oh, hooray. This is really lifting my fucking spirit. I hope you read from the Beat Blessed on the Meek. They should be drunk and willful. No, they won't. They're going to inherit the earth. Don't be a dick. Um, so, uh, do we have any other questions? Thank you, Robinson, for changing out the court. That's going to sound awesome on people's earbuds. Anyone? It's a discussion more than a... Uh, I'm not going to answer questions on behalf of Bruce Robinson as much as I'm going to hope to. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Rudy. Rudy? Rudy. Oh, hi, Rudy. Just the only question is, would you happen to know if this was an American cut? Like, was it an edit for the United States? That's a very good question. Hadrian would know better than I because I believe he's purloined these reels for tonight from some nefarious fucking circumstance. I think there's a warehouse in Culver City that's missing six cans. Uh, he, he claims to me, and this is Hadrian's words, and I'm misquoting entirely because I vaguely remember the conversation. It was earlier in the day. Uh, he, he said, uh, well, I didn't steal it, but let's just say the people who had it didn't know they had it. So uh, now they don't know that they don't have it. So... I don't know. I did notice that George Harrison produced the movie. It's a handmade film. And that Ringo was listed as a creative consultant at the end. I wonder if that was the Camberwell Carrot part. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. It was Richard Starkey, MBE, uh, using his title and everything. I, I don't know if there's another edit. Have you seen another edit of this, uh, a version of this movie that has more? Yeah, in the Criterion Edition, there's scenes that aren't in this film. That aren't in this version that they should. S- s- scenes such as what, Richard Griff- more Richard Griffiths? When they're at the bar and he tells the bartender that he was in the army, he was a territorial, and he asked him to get a crack That I have seen that fucking version. You're right, this is an American reductive version. And whoever Hadrian stole this from owes us all a huge apology right now. I remember the territorial army part when they're drinking in the bar and the guy gets in and he's arsehole by the time they open on rum and he continues to get more arsehole. Richard Grant walks up to the bar and goes, I was in the tactiles. And to get more drinks from him, and the guy's like, oh, who are you, who are you? And then they drink to the fucking army and shit like that. Then the guy, then the poacher comes in, Jake. Is anyone, of all the unbelievable, uh, uh, you can look at all the 80s movies. I mean, uh, the dear departed Tony Scott just passed. Right around the same time as this movie came out, Top Gun came out, right? Uh, and Beverly Hills Cop won. And this movie, which has more raging homosexual assault in it than any other awesome mainstream biographical picture. Uh, The poacher says the most horrible thing anyone's ever said to anyone in a pub. I've seen you prancing about like a tit. You want working on, boy? You want working on? No, I don't. Is that a fish and whatnot? Horrible. Horrible. And I mean to have you, boy, even if it's burglary, I think, Molly says. <laughs> Fuck you and your thing. There's me naked against the wall. What? And how dare you say I was in love with you? I'm a bit carried away. <laughs> 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 
Bruce Robbins and Goliath, I think. Uh, yeah, so yes, this, there is another version of this, and it has more in it. Would, can you remember any other scenes? Because I remember that one. That, A sausage. They've, re- they've renamed it. Those horrible, and I've mentioned them on the podcast many times, and no one ever knows what I'm fucking talking about. You have to be in England and know what they are. The horrible red sausage that he brings in when they throw the chip and he's eating the chips on the toilet and, 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 and uh, um, it, it, Paul McGann's in the bathtub is a satelloy. And George Orwell, the awesome author of 1984 and Animal Farm, who uh, pretty much nailed us because uh, we've, we've reached that point. Uh, <laughs> When you watch the Republican National Convention, didn't you think of the end of Animal Farm? And then they turned into pigs, and then they turned into people, and then they turned into pigs, but there was no telling which anymore, and all that. When you saw all the people, ah, ah, ah. Oprah cried, and I cried too. And the whole crowd went, ah. Oh my God. And seen this many ugly white people at a place since Gerald Ford's fucking funeral. NASCAR rally. Um, I'm joking, of course. If you're a Republican, hey. Enjoy the freedom. I saw a bumper sticker today that said, uh, I'm going to keep my guns, my money, my guns, my freedom, and you can keep the change. See what we're depriving people of? Guns and money and freedom. Fuck, I had no idea. I'd have never signed up to be a... a a liberal, is it? Uh, in any case, yes, there is extra shit in this. Uh, man, Hadrian, I can't believe this ratty copy you fucking stole from us. <laughs> that you put life and limb and probably mortgaged your house and shit. Uh, we're going to be showing uh, Exorcist to the Heretic. It's a very reductive 18-minute version. Linda Blair comes out and she's skating. But not Skate Town. Mm. Or is she in Roller Boogie? She's in Skate Town. Who's, which one's in Roller Boogie? No one knows fucking Skate Town and Roller Boogie? This is supposed to be an intensive cinema course. Everyone is getting credit, no credit. There's going to be no fucking grading on this. This is bullshit. Study the fuck up. Uh, I'm joking, of course, but please maintain your respectful silence. Oh, I, I, was just, I was just saying that I believe the prince is probably Canadian. If that explains it. Oh, it's a Canadian prince. And it's Linda Blair. Really. Yeah, that explains it. If there's one thing Canadians do, it's reductive cutting. Well, two things. They hoard maple syrup and they reductively cut films. If Whitnell had been a Canadian film, the opening shot wouldn't have been him sitting in a room while Wider Shade of play, uh, Pale played. It, it would have been um, uh, Anne Murray singing and wheat. Just a shot of wheat waving and shit like that. <laughs> And then the band would have kicked in or whatever. Yeah, it would have been a different film. Uh, but it would have been my film, finally. Finally, the film I wanted to make, the Canadian with Nolan I. Where at the end, they both sober up and just go eat. Uh, does anyone else have anything else they'd like to say? I think we've probably had enough fun. And I, Robinson? Oh, does anyone remember the movie Aliens 3? Uh, Speaking of intensive film course, uh, 
Alien 1, of course, is Alien by Ridley Scott, the movie about cancer, right? The, the thing infests the ship and they can't kill it no matter what, and it keeps coming back, and then at the end they think they killed it, but it didn't. And then Aliens 2 is the World War II movie with the all ethnic platoon, right? Hey, Vasquez, you so, and whatever mistake you for a man? No, you, yeah, you so fucking bad. I mean, the whole platoon is named Kozlowski and Vasquez in Washington. There's a black guy named, you know, you get in here, you got another car and all that shit. It's fucking, it's got everything, right? And they just shoot aliens. And then the third one uh, is the one where she goes to the, um, the monastery planet, right? Uh, it, does anyone remember uh, uh, Danny the drug dealer plays what was his character in that movie 98 I think it is or 89 he plays a guy who is one of the officers at the penitentiary it's a penitentiary they land on Sigourney Weaver lands on a penitentiary in the third one spoiler alert and uh, <laughs> when she gets there the warden is played by a British actor named Brian Glover and I don't know why I'm holding my hand like this you must be this tall to hear the next explanation of what I'm going to talk about if anyone's shorter than this I must ask you to leave the room right now for your own safety uh, and the guy who plays Danny the drug dealer now Ralph McGann, uh, what the fuck's his name now Ralph uh, I've forgotten his buddy name Ralph Brown Ralph Brown uh, plays a character whose IQ is lukewarm. And they found his personnel file, and everyone through the whole movie calls him 89 or whatever. And he has the funniest line in all of Aliens 3, the aliens killing them all one by one, Pete pulls to white, the whole fucking cast. Yeah, again, top heavy, ladies and gentlemen, Charles Dutton, every second of the movie. Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Downs. Uh, after the aliens killed a bunch of them, they're trapped and they're in a room, and because he's playing a moron, Ralph Brown goes, well, I'm out of ideas. And it is the funniest fuck that I remember seeing in a movie theater. And the whole place fell over. It's a horrible movie, but that fucking was funny. And Brian Glover, who plays the warden in that movie, the governor, uh, comes into every scene and goes on. Rumor control. The alien is not taking out of the I did a TV show with Brian Glover, and we were in a trailer together. This was years ago in London. And I go, Brian, I'm the only person who ever saw Aliens 3. What the fuck? He goes on. We knew that it was a fucking awful script because it was in a million different colours. <laughs> fucking pink and green and turquoise. And he goes, and you knew where the fuck you were going to die, what fucking page what he was on, right? <laughs> so, because they all die. Everybody in the movie dies. And so, again, spoiler alert, it's an alien movie. He goes, we sit down at the table read and Charles Dance, who plays the surgeon in the movie, goes, I fucker and I die on page 16. Uh, which I thought was a lot funnier when he told me. <laughs> Maybe if you'd seen the movie. All right, everyone go home and watch Roller Burgundy and Skate Town and Aliens 3, and then come back when you're ready to be serious about this. <laughs> we don't want to waste every moment of our lives. It's not a waste. Uh, one, are we done? Are we one more? We'll go. Yeah. Anyone else want? <laughs> After that, horrible. Outbreak. No women want to talk about it? I know it's a boys' movie. There's, I don't even think any women have any lines in the movie other than the lady in the cake shop. We want the finest lines known to humanity. We want them there, we want them now. Yes, uh, my name is Philip. Hi, Philip. And uh, I, I saw this when it first was in the theaters. Sure. And um, it was during a time when they were taking fairly popular foreign films and turning them into American movies with yeah. Steve Gutenberg. Like the Cousins movie and... Three Men and a Little yes, Lady yes, was, yes. Was, a, was a hilarious French and I, film. And I was horrified that there might be a plot somewhere in town 
to turn this into an American movie with like Kevin Bacon and stuff. <laughs> Do you know if there's ever anything like that? I'm guessing place? Bad Influence might be close. I'm joking, of course. Uh, if, if they had, there'd be more robberies and with no and I. I don't know if they did. That is a horrible notion because they do that with every movie ever. Uh, the movie Dinner for Schmucks uh, was a, 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 a French picture from a couple of years ago called A Game for Assholes in French. And I, fortunately, my French isn't that fluent. I don't know the word for asshole. And, uh, and that, that movie was well-realized, um, uh, beautifully written, uh, a, a comedy of manners uh, constructed with all the things the French do best, uh, subtlety and archness and, uh, and, and the old switcheroo of when uh, people's status changes. And the American version was a crappy movie where the line, babies going diarrhea, I believe, got into the, the trailer. Uh, and you think, really? Uh, so I don't think there was a crashing with Neil and I, but if it had been from 87, Kevin Bacon is a perfect choice to play Paul McGann. And then I think the guy who played Booger in all the nerd movies could have played with me. And that, it might have been funnier and better. It also would have had a swinging soundtrack with music by Oingo Boingo. And Charles, Charles Nelson Riley is on Charles Nelson Riley, Get out of town. He was awesome forever. Uh, I will say one thing about this. The last movie we showed, Point Break, is the most popular movie with the worst soundtrack ever. There's not one good song in the Point Break soundtrack, and it ends with a rat song, a song by rat. They didn't even get Guns and Fucking Roses. The movie came out in like 92. They got rat. They spent no money. This movie has how many? Two, three Hendrix songs in it? It has a fucking great soundtrack. Did the whole movie like, oh. <laughs> you wouldn't have expected it. And then, awesomely, if anyone noticed, uh, uh, when the black guy's in the bathtub, uh, they're playing While My Guitar Gently Weeps by George Harrison, uh, which I thought must have been George fucking taking the piss. Uh, I think we've had enough. Thank you very much for coming out. We've, we've got this Halloween. We're trying to share a picture of My name is Doug Cruz. This is the Doug Cruz Film Club. We're the smartest man in the world. We're the smartest crowd in the world. And I've let the applause die all the way down before the show's over. Because I'm biding for time for Robinson to put the theme song in again at the end. But I dare say he's not going to make it to the booth in time. Thank you very much for coming out of the night.